0: Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse? You don't actually believe any of that. It's bullshit. You are not some hopeless screw-up. Okay. No. Don't do that. I'm here. I've been here. Standing next to you. If you're some loser who can't do anything, I follow your lead. What does that make me?
1: Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline.
2: And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing episode five of season two, The Unreliable Narrator. It was written by Sean Clements, who's previously written an episode the season, Ghost. Uh, He also wrote the uh, Grand Victorian episode from last season. He's also an executive producer on the show. We've talked about Sean a little bit. He also played Patty's ill-fated boyfriend from season one from the pharmacy. Uh, pharmacy. Yeah, so Sean Sean is all over this show. (laughs) This episode was directed. I feel like I should just record this and just insert this as a recording. It was once again directed by anna DeCoza.
1: awesome just a community note if you want to continue the conversation please join us on facebook and kevin can f himself fans we're continuing to discuss all these characters and where is this crazy series going
2: i don't know but we're here now at the start of the back end this is it episode five this episode officially begins the last four episodes of the of the final season and i i think you know, you were saying, we were saying before the recording, there's definitely a ramp up in pace in a season that was already experiencing a condensing of pace and storyline. This episode, maybe even more so. What do you think?
1: Yeah, there's something about a blackout that kind of represents a reset for me. Um, Like, when I sat down, I had a blackout last night. When I sat down, I had to restart my computer and I was thinking about how all of these characters seem reset by the end of this um, episode in a way where everybody's just a little bit different. You know, there's some definite changes.
2: You know, I always like looking at episode themes and blackout was definitely a theme of this episode because Diane and Neil at the end of the episode are actually having a great conversation. They talk about how people go nuts. Nuts during blackouts. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a throwaway line, but it's a hundred percent true. It's a hundred percent true. People do go a little bit nuts during blackouts because it is such a shock to the system, the normal operating thing way of things. I think people often either experience irrational elevations of fear that they wouldn't normally have. I mean, night comes every day, but something about a blackout, even if it happens during nighttime feels heightened, or I think people get more daring or they shed their you know, their inhibitions during a blackout. And I think we see a little bit of that in this episode of both of those things.
1: You know, everything that you're used to, everything that's familiar suddenly seems eerie, you know, like your own house, you know, seems weird and off. And that's a lot what I was feeling throughout this episode. Like, you know, our our characters are mostly the same, but everything just feels a little bit different.
2: I was working in the city in the 2000s. I was working in downtown not too far from the World Trade Center site during uh, September 11th. About two years later, it was the summertime, and there was a entire like Eastern Seaboard blackout, like one of those blackouts that knocks out entire cities, kind of thing. And New York went dark while I was at work, and it was broad daylight outside. But I, you know, I worked in a big office building; you didn't always know whether it was day or night. I had to walk down thirty-four flights of stairs, and when I got on the street, Caroline, it was like it was like some music festival party had broken out. On the street. Now, I worked right off of Wall Street, a very buttoned up, suit wearing crowd, not, you know, not a party atmosphere normally people were just drinking. They were laying on cars. There was just music laying playing. Laying on cars? Because they weren't going. Yeah, no one was going. Everyone was just kind of parked. Everyone just stopped because all of the streetlights were out. Everything was oh. out. It was like twilight. It was like late in the afternoon when it happened, or at least when we like left the building. Or by Crazy. the time it took me to walk down the 34 flights of stairs. <laughs> uh, and, and I lived about five blocks away from the office, so I walked home and then I had to walk up eight flights of stairs to get to my apartment. And just the entire experience, more so than the losing the power. I mean, it was it was a it was a post-9-11 fear. People were like, what is happening? Because everything was out. So there was right. definitely that aspect to it. But it was just so surreal feeling. It was like this is a moment in time that will never occur again. All of these people are acting in a way that they would never act normally on, say, like a Thursday afternoon in the financial district. Going That's on 20 five. years ago. That, yeah. yeah, and it still stays with me as something that was very off putting. Nothing bad happened. It was not if anything, it was a very it was a very happy atmosphere. People were elated to a certain extent, but it felt very off to me.
1: It always whenever the power goes out, I'm always so aware of the silence because you think it's quiet in your house when there's maybe no one around, but you take for granted like the lack of sounds of like appliances and computers and you know, just little noises around that different electronics make that when everything does go off, it absolutely seems like what the hell? <laughs> like yeah. is it just me no no one else can hear anything too right like
2: yeah no i i, I was I, you were having to live through me venting i lost power a couple of months ago it was in, right in the middle of summer hot day power went out for no apparent reason it was out for like four hours it was sweltering i didn't know what to do i was pacing like an animal because of the silence because of the heat i have a cat i you know i was putting her leash on i was like we got to go sit on the patio because it's too hot in the (laughs) apartment because it's too hot in the apartment i'm on the fifth floor i can't take a chance of her jumping off of the balcony so you know putting the little kitty cat leash on and like i I didn't know what to do with myself i was like stir crazy i got in my car like three different times just to drive around just because i needed something to do it was yeah but you know i every other night uh, the lights are off you know maybe i have the tv right. on but yeah it's different though that and i guess that's the point and and everyone here in the kevin gang was different and acted different and like you said perfectly at the end of this episode I think everyone in in this show is different
1: yeah like there's that little reset that everyone is still familiar but a little bit different
2: just a reminder we are assuming you've watched this episode we are not going to be recapping or going step by step of what happened we talk about a more general uh, uh, you know of the show and its characters so if you haven't watched the episode and you don't want to be spoiled pause the podcast go watch it and come back we'll still be waiting here for you let's get into the normal stuff we talk about the title card It was the emergency exit sign styling, but it was done in the Kevin can fuck himself, uh, uh, well, titling, but with the exit sign, I did notice the tone, that piercing tone and the laugh track Was Mm -hmm. back in a way that I really hadn't been noticing. It's definitely been there to level to different degrees, but it felt more pronounced in this episode.
1: It was jarring because we haven't had it. So when I heard it, I was like, ooh, that's back again. That tone is, oh, it hits me at just that right exact
2: Cuts right through. (laughs) Yes. And I wonder if it's because in the blackout, all the silences, you know, make everything else more pronounced. You know, like the, a, a car alarm gets louder, a dog barking gets louder because all the other sounds, ambient noise gets kind of uh, drowned, drowned away. This was a super short episode. This was under 40 minutes. This came in at like 39, 40, something like that. It was an under 40 minute episode, which is interesting because I think this is one of the more dense episodes. I feel like a lot happened in this episode to everyone
1: it's one of the few that we've had every single person in it and there's a lot of scenes where there's a lot of them in it
2: it's rare. I mean in Beth Diner there, every single cast member except for Tammy that's a recurring cast member to some extent is in that shot including Lorraine
1: yeah <laughs> Including Sam, who doesn't barely ever really cross paths with, say, like, Neil.
2: Anytime Sam interacts with any of the other cast members, I find jarring. But this episode, very much, I was uncomfortable the entire time because he spends so much time with Kevin in this episode. But it's also the kind of thing where, like, at any moment, Sam could be like, I fucked your wife a bunch right here. Like, you know, like, but he, it's it's very jarring, kind of, the amount of time they do spend together. I. Like the people in the blackout, I felt like put on my back foot by this episode.
1: There was definitely a lot of moments where people seem to spook around the corner all of a sudden, you know, like like when, you know, Allison and Sam are talking in the diner and then all of a sudden Kevin's just like there like there's a lot of those kind of startle moments in this one. I'm getting the feel of Sam who um, or of Sean, who wrote Ghost, because it's a lot of that same like coming around the corner, like mm, kind of like right. feel there was a lot of like jumping in this. nothing one.
2: particularly scary when you look at it objectively, but it leaves you with a vibe of very disturbed.
1: It's like real life scares. They're yes. not, it's not scary like you know, uh, uh, you know, a goblin, but scary like you know, your husband comes around the corner unexpectedly.
2: Also, and let's take the grand Victorian takes place in the restaurant and uh, the Tricky Ricky's next door. The Ghost episode takes place largely in the mortuary and the cemetery. And this episode takes place mostly in Bev's Diner or City Hall. Sean Clements doesn't like writing in the Kevin set. He doesn't yeah. like writing in Patty's house. He likes writing out and about in in the, in the this small, small town. He's,
1: he's like the capers. He does the capers.
2: Uh, it's funny with Ghost, too, because that was also Patty and Allison on an adventure together.
1: Yeah, they're always capering.
2: Uh, let's talk about our guest stars. We've already had Perry Gell in the season we had robin lord taylor came back for an episode so far we know there's another one on the horizon if you read the trades that i won't spoil here but she's coming uh, but in this episode we had rachel dratch Uh, Which I thought was fantastic. Debbie Downer herself. What did you think of seeing old Rachel in this disgruntled employee role?
1: Oh, man, I thought she did a perfect job of embodying this totally like bitter employee who's like just completely ready to like do anything to like take down City Hall from the inside loved it she she was fantastic fantastic casting
2: and i love the idea that she keeps the keys hidden in like her fruit bowl
1: yeah because she's just like a little weirdo like a little (laughs) weirdo but like
2: with a nice (laughs) vengeance streak in her
1: (laughs) i like it
2: right she's the kind of person you exactly want on your side in these kinds of moments
1: it very much suited the episode again because again she was familiar but weird and off
2: yeah, and she's taking her pound of flesh from the man, granting liquor licenses to people that maybe shouldn't get liquor licenses, or at least are skirting the normal way. She's she's giving the opportunity for people she's handing her keys to these two women that she doesn't know. They could go I mean, they're going to steal a death certificate, but they could take any sorts of things from City Hall. But she in her way though, it's it's like little like take that kind of thing like you know kind of like like uh, turning the knife in the in their back kind of thing I loved it I thought it was a great little hook and so odd it was a very quirky development
1: you could uh, you know extrapolate it out to like you know she feels abused by the man kind of thing you know and and that this was like her way of dealing with it like everybody finds their own way to kind of stick it to them and this is like the way she was doing it
2: uh, let's talk about another episode theme fire fire was a, a, was a prevalent theme throughout this episode. It kicks off with Allison lighting the newspaper in which her article, in which Kevin's article was hijacked by her story about her time on the swim team and and all those kinds of things, working at Defto's Liquor. She lights it on fire and even after it kind of gets out of control and she has to throw it in the sink, she seems very pleased with herself.
1: That was such an odd scene for me because i'm like thinking like why are you lighting this on fire i understand the symbolism of like burning down her old life kind of thing you know like this isn't this isn't what her life's going to be like anymore but just the actual act of doing it and then it was like what what were you going to do like you were just holding it up in the air like what was supposed to happen you know because she's like oh 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 you know and she like has to put it in the sink but it was like it's not like something went wrong. It's like, that was a weird thing to do, you know? Like, she's she's just kind of acting a little bit, um, I'm just going to say, like, impulsively, I guess. And she does hit upon that. that Later on, when they're in City Hall, she has that line about, you know, she doesn't want to think about anything too much, you know, because she'll talk herself out of it. Well, that moment was like, you didn't think that through at all. <laughs> you just lit a piece of paper on fire in midair. What was going to happen?
2: But once it's under control, like, the little smile like, returns to her face. Like, she's felt like she has accomplished something something. something here and doesn't and is not focusing on the oh man i almost burned my fingers or that that spread faster than i thought it would like you know once it's kind of handled she kind of returns to she had some kind of mischievous win um it's
1: like just the lighting it on fire was the win just to actually pull the little you know trigger on the lighter was the win you know that you weren't just playing with it thinking about doing it but you actually lit it on fire you actually did it
2: We also have the return of the purple lighter and the one that she's still spinning like it's a fidget spinner. But we have seen her with this purple lighter in her hand, spinning it almost like uh, Linus's blanket throughout the season so far. She doesn't smoke, but she always has this lighter with her it's a, it's an interesting choice and I I'm not sure what the show is telling us by it but it's it's telling us something because it keeps showing up you have any thoughts
1: oh so I was jotting down little things now th- now I covered this is us for pod clubhouse here so I am especially nervous about fires I really pay attention because we spent so long on that series watching for these like backstories on on this whole situation which I won't completely spoil for those of you who have not watched this is us however there was a moment when we were getting the generators And Kevin says, I took all the 9-volt batteries out of the smoke detectors. Okay, there's an entire episode of This Is Us about the fact that they were going to the mall to get batteries to change for the smoke detector. And if you know what happens on This Is Us, then you know what happens. But if you don't, I'm not going to tell you. But it was still making me feel like... Wait, wait, like, I'm getting more and more nervous about what exactly is going to happen here.
2: Fun fact, I've watched exactly one full episode of This Is Us from start to finish. And it was the post Super Bowl episode of This Is Us where it becomes very important to know what you're talking about. So
1: oh! oh that was, okay, that Good was my int-
2: that was literally my introduction. <laughs> that's not true. I, in the subsequent years, I actually watched more episodes of This Is Us, but that was the very first episode I ever saw of This Is Us.
1: Well, that's crazy. So, well, here is the thing. I mean, I you know I've watched this now for for most of our listeners, I'm sure they watched the show once, maybe twice. For me and you, we're gonna watch it multiple times. So if you didn't catch these little things, or you're like, "You guys, what are you talking about?" It's because we've watched it many times. We've taken notes. We stop it. We rewind it. We watch it again. We're really scrutinizing these things. So if you're not picking these things up or if you're like you're putting too much on that, just just know that we've watched it a bunch of times. And we think we're putting the puzzle pieces together for you
2: just to connect things. Because when you were just watching it for pleasure, maybe you're not like putting the jigsaw pieces together. But there there is something at work here. And this show does a really good job, I think, of layering that in stuff that happens Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the episode connects to stuff that happens at the end of the episode. And they don't necessarily highlight it for you.
1: Well and in this case the actual blackout is caused by oh, sure. you know an explosion, a fire essentially from the fireworks that Kevin is horsing around with. So there's a lot of blowing up. There's a lot of fire imagery going on. Sometimes it's a flame right in front of your face. Sometimes it's Sam holding a lighter and Allison holding a lighter, sitting in the same booth.
2: Well, you made a great call of why does Bev's Diner have so many candles? It's not an Italian restaurant, it's mm-hmm. known for its romantic theming.
1: It's weird to have them on every single table like that. Like, there's no way that that would normally be there. And so when you see them surrounded by flames, that's also weird. And I live in Texas. Like we, like I like said, the power went out last night. Power goes out all the time, especially we're in her. Season Right now, I can tell you, I don't put candles all over the house. Like, that's not what you do when that power goes out. You know, there's like, I have one gigantic candle that I put up on the mantle. And that like lights up the whole living room. Then there is a time you use flashlights and stuff like it's not usually open flames. So it was pretty unusual for Sam to have however many it was like 25. That's a lot.
2: Now, I'm sure anyone out there can do the research, they can Google it, they have their own personal opinions. I'm curious what you think. What what does the fire represent to you? Because it doesn't specifically pay off in this episode. So is it is it acting as a metaphor, do you think, for something else?
1: I mean, I think the fire represents lots of things in stories. I mean, sometimes it's 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 actually, you know, like the tool you're looking for. Like I watch lots of Survivor. Fire is like key for survival. You know, like you need fire. It's a good thing. You want fire. And then, you know, I've watched so many other shows like This Is Us or whatever, where, you know, fire is this destructive force that takes out everything and, you know, literally burns everything to the ground. So it is it's a tricky one. I think it's a great one, actually, in terms of you know it can be used in so many different ways and i think different characters in this one could even use it in different
2: ways i 100% agree i i you know i think the two most common things that you hear about fire is obviously it is a tool of destruction and there's definitely a case and we're going to be talking about this pretty much right after after this i think we're going to segue into this discussion of for kevin this is an episode where everyone really kind of starts to turn against kevin in a mm. in a significant real and concrete way now we have talked about how people have been shifting away from him all season obviously neil is dealing with his own things separate from diane but now there's also this diane connection but also pete now is shifting away we talked about last week with lorraine and the laugh kevin's world is getting smaller the orbits around him are going away so there's destruction in his in his life as he has known it Fire also represents the opposite end of that. The destruction of fire also leads to fire being a symbol of rebirth. Uh, All you Targaryen fans out there, you know, from House of Dragons or uh, from Game of Thrones, fire is a thing that brings life. And so on the rebirth end of it, I mean, if you have Kevin, if this episode represents some destruction of Kevin's life, everyone else has some kind of rebirth in this episode. Uh, Allison, via obtaining a death certificate, has secured now... The last piece of her rebirth as Gertrude Franch. Sam has a really interesting arc in this. Maybe the most character development I think of Sam in the series happens in this episode where he realizes that maybe he has been living his life as a Kevin and maybe Ooh. has a rebirth himself in in a way that he sees himself.
1: So much going on with Sam, Are, do we like who do we want to talk about first here because I definitely think I want to talk about how like man there's so
2: where do you want to start let's here? jump let's jump into I, I, Kevin interacts with a lot of people I see a little behind the scenes here guys normally I just I have a section in our notes for sitcom plot that just have like little quirks that make me laugh or things I want to point out. For the first time ever, sitcom plot actually has a lot of detailed notes and relationships in it because this episode was different than all of the other Kevin episodes insofar as actual significant character story relating to relationships with Kevin. So we could talk with let's talk about Sam via Kevin and Sam, because I think that's as good a place to start as any.
1: So if if everyone remembers, when Sam got brought in as a character, he was definitely brought in as this alternative path that Allison could have taken. If only she hadn't had a Sam breakout, a a Sam breakup, then her path would have been completely different and it would have been amazing, right? That's basically how they set it up to us. Very much that these two guys were on opposite ends of the spectrum. Their time together I found so fascinating because we as the audience get to kind of understand how much that these Kevin characteristics really like infiltrate any person's life, even when they're like supposedly the good guy or the good girl in the matter of like, say, like a Tammy, right? No matter how good that person looks, it turns out that these traits are like insidious. Like they just kind of slip in there and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, like – do I actually have these these things? I appreciated it because Sam was, like, working as, like, a little audience avatar for me. He was kind of giving an audience member permission to be like, you may have sat back this entire time and judged Kevin and said, I am nothing like you. You're, a, you're an asshole. I, I have nothing to relate to with you. But as the conversations happened between Kevin and Sam... I think as Sam stepped back and said, wait a minute, I do correct my wife. Wait a minute, I, I I actually do manipulate situations like that. Like, I feel like it was permission to the audience to be like, Hey, no one's hating on you, but you could admit it because Sam admitted it, that like no matter how much of a jerk he thinks Kevin is, he actually does recognize the traits in himself. That is some very smart writing.
2: Let's, uh, let's play these two clips here, uh, just so people, if they're, if they're not holding on to the episode details well, let, let's uh, connect the dots here a little bit.
0: Sammy, if you were having relationship issues, you should have come to me. I missed a marriage. Just ask my wife. I would, but you tossed her into a high crime area during a blackout. Okay, I'll do it. Do what? I'll take you on and save your marriage. I'm going to give you a true storybook ending. Just like Romeo and Juliet. That story doesn't end the way you think it does. You correct your wife like that? (laughs) Yes. And that's lesson number one
2: and and that yes when he says yes he says it with realization and that's the start of this i'm so curious what lessons 2 through 15 are uh that we don't see uh, that occur off screen
1: <laughs> I, mean, I like that you're curious i'm like frightened <laughs> I, i'm a little frightened
2: yeah. too but the, every time sam and kevin have an interaction Ke- uh, sam is taking something away about himself from it so i am curious what else he learned about himself
1: we need like valerie to write a book after this and be like how to not be a kevin and like give us the give us the give us. the the one through 15 lessons.
2: Let's play lesson 16, though, because this is interesting not only for Sam to see how Kevin is and who Kevin really is and see himself in him. I think it's great for the audience to see because it shows that Kevin knows exactly what he's doing. He understands what he's doing when he acts the way he acts. And for all those people that are trying to get a handle on how does X, Y, and Z in my life manipulate me? Well, it's because they do things like lesson 16. Let's take a listen.
0: You're not a suspect. This is time for us to work on marriage lesson number 16. Can I be a suspect instead? Now, Sam, what do you know about funniness? What? Jeez, you sound like Lorraine ever since I stole a hearing aid. You did? That's awful. No, no, Sam. That is funny. And funniness <laughs> is my greatest strength. Well, that and my muscles and everything else, including my brain. So you think I need to be funny to get my wife to like me again? Oh, absolutely not. You're too hot to have a sense of humor. (laughs) Me, on the other hand, I am the rare exception that has both. (laughs) You need to find your thing and use it. You know, your strength that makes you so lovable you can get away with whatever you want. I don't have that. Come on, don't sell yourself short. Play up that uh, sensitive thing you got going, you know? Tell Tell her that you're broken. Tell her that you guys can fix each other. Tell her you're in AA. I'm in AA. Score!
2: It's right there. They're putting it on the glass for y'all. Like, this is how Kevin operates. He is aware of what he's doing. It's not by chance. Now, granted... He thinks he's lovable and funny and hot and and can do all that, but he operates in that way. And for people that aren't married to him or people that aren't the victim of his direct abuse on a daily basis, it works. Think of how the cops talk to Allison about her husband in this episode. You know, like like she's some object off of Kevin's shelf. Like, I never realized Kevin's wife. You're talking to Kevin's wife. Like, you know, they say, I never realized Kevin's wife was such a phenom or worked at Deftos.
1: This was the first time that Sam actually spent a good deal of time with Kevin, where he was interacting with him one-on-one, where Kevin was actually directly speaking to him, not in, like, offhanded comments or anything, but, like, trying to have a conversation with him. The small things, like, you know, just that he would throw out thinking there was something small, like, ha I'm so funny. I mean, obviously, we're going to have to have a moment about Lorraine's hearing aids here, because, like, for me, I mean, ugh, that whole thing, that whole thing, <laughs> it definitely felt like Sam did not have any idea the length and the uh insanity level of kevin until uh, like he actually had to experience him like this and again like the blackout portion i think magnified the situation because there was like nowhere to go nothing to do no extra noise no distraction no nothing and there was something about that that just really like magnified kevin's everything like his craziness was just like on center stage
2: uh yeah a hundred percent when sam says to allison in the beginning uh, kevin's a clown it's so dismissive of allison's feelings and experience it is a kevin like mo it's a kevin like move that he does to allison just erasing her her contribution to the conversation as if sam knows kevin better than allison does it's the thing that drives me crazy about Sam and ultimately makes me not really be able to root for him because that behavior comes so quickly to him and we see it all of the time with him he he assumes the worst about Allison maybe for good reason maybe for not but he treats her like a little child when he says things like Kevin is a clown
1: it definitely plays down Kevin but now it makes sense because because he sees himself in Kevin why would he think Kevin was so bad you know he's just he's just antiky, you know he he's not he's not actually bad. The hearing aid point for me is like the big like line in the sand. I know that they are are maybe for some people it'll be like the city wide city wide power outage, but my eldest daughter is deaf and blind. she has hearing aids lots of her helpers are deaf and have hearing aids. This is one of those, like, absolute line in the sand, like—and Pete Pete has the one line where he says, did you take her hearing aid before or after— a citywide emergency in which hearing would be crucial. And the way that they say it, like if you just again how, how you've reminded our listeners many times, put that in the single cam drama side of it. Have have Pete actually be yelling at Kevin this and hear how serious it is. But because it's in the multicam cam you know silliness, you know, we're just taking it as like a, this kind of like it's almost easy to not hear Pete say that, you know, in the moment.
2: You, you want to hear the we have the clip here, you want to hear it?
0: Kevin you caused a citywide power outage raided my diner and basically held everyone in here hostage think you owe us an apology yeah we're upset (laughs) and you should say you're sorry apologies are like tears everyone has to let them out unless they're a real man (laughs) dad you taught me that I I never said that. What? How come I can't get through to you today? Because Kevin stole her hearing aid. What? What? Okay, hold on. In my defense, it has been pretty funny. (laughs) And did you do this before or after you caused a citywide emergency where hearing would be crucial? Way before. You have to take responsibility for something, Kevin, anything.
2: There's so much in there from Pete, not understanding how to fully express upset owing an apology because he's never had to say those words to Kevin before, but this new experience with Lorraine and what Lorraine's been put through today is forcing these? Literally, we're literally watching Pete learn words,
1: like he's growing, like, like he's growing literally in, in
2: the moment, like the Grinch. His heart is growing in front of us, like he's his his vocabulary as it relates to Kevin is growing right in front of us. That's huge. That's huge for Pete to have this uh, moment.
1: Let's talk about Pete for a second, because I feel like at the beginning and especially after we talked to Brian Howe, you know, we were very like, man, Pete's going to like play this pivotal role and he's going to be like super important. And I just feel like, you know, second season or like, watch out. Don't like not watch for Pete. Pete is playing such an important role, but it's much quieter and more subtle than I thought it would be. This moment alone where he's struggling with the with how to chastise Kevin because he's never done that before he's never said like you're doing the wrong thing and you're hurting people and you know you need to say you're sorry and he can't even find those words i know for a lot of people it'll be like okay that like, again because it's playing out in the multi-cam world like it wasn't that big of a deal you know maybe pete isn't really doing as much as i thought pete was going to be doing he is though like because he is growing and changing and the dynamic for kevin and who his like quote-unquote support system or just like the framework in which he can act like this is dissolving
2: if lorraine wasn't in pete's life and Precipitating this change in his behavior and, and and maybe in his heart, but at least in the way he is presenting himself, whether or not he fe- really feels it, would Pete have had a problem with this? Would he have thought taking the hearing aid was funny if it wasn't someone he was dating or close to? Uh, would he have thought the Transformer exploding was funny because the fireworks, you know, got shot into it? You know, we saw Pete in season one, you know, he was never as committed to the uh, really obtuse, like really um, obnoxious bits that Kevin and Neil would get up to. But he definitely went along with the antics. So I'm curious, without this growth, is his reaction the same? Because these are serious things. You caused a citywide blackout. And also you put this woman in jeopardy by taking her hearing aid. It shouldn't matter whether or not he's having sex with her or not for it to be a bad thing. But I'm curious if he has that growth moment without this external force.
1: Pete's relationship with Lorraine has grown past just the sex part. I know that that's like the focus on it because we mostly see, well, we only see Lorraine, um, and Pete in the multicam world, so so they, well, they make a joke the, about it even in this episode, part. Part. right? I mean, right, right, yeah. with the bathing together and all that stuff. So for sure, like, but it's also because it's framed out in the in the in the silly side of of the sitcom portion. But when he says, "We'll get you a new hearing aid, honey," and stuff like that, like, and he's there is legitimate caring and love there that isn't, you know, he keeps his arm around her, you know, he says it, it's been a trying day, you know, when he does when he when he can't get information across her my like special needs mom heart like felt for him because that was like the exact wording of a of someone who loves somebody else and has been really honestly trying to communicate like not brushing her off he's not laughing every time she says what he's not you he's know distraught. he's not, he's the strong he over is it. and when he said it's been a trying day like oh just such perfect writing. Such perfect writing. That That is exactly what you need to hear to know. That's someone who loves and cares about Lorraine and, and, and really, really, really wants to do right by her. Those are the words you say. You don't say, because a lot of people would say, she's driving me crazy or stuff, you know, things like that. But it's been a trying to oof. It hit me, Mike. That hit my
2: heart. And and just so people don't take shots at the show and say the the end here where Pete, you know, the clip we just played where Pete um chastises Kevin and comes to Lorraine's defense, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Because when they first enter in the diner, Kevin makes a joke and Pete and Lorraine does a what? And Pete explains it was one of Kevin's less funny bits, which at that moment is a damning thing for Pete to say to Kevin. Pete never outwardly doesn't take Kevin's side ever in any way shape or form for sure so for him to even at that beginning part of the episode before he goes through his rebirth or whatever he transformed in this episode into even at the outset before any of that he's saying already it wasn't one of kevin's funnier bits
1: you know what else to that he answers her she says what and he doesn't just ignore her or let her be out of the conversation he leans into her and says it was one of kevin's less funny like he's still trying to make sure that she is a part of it again i'm telling you special needs mom's eyes are looking at this like that guy cares about her he he won't let her be excluded he continues to to reassure her to try to keep her in what's going on to and he is he is pissed that Kevin would do something like that, you know, for those of you guys who don't know, and I know the show is rooted in reality in some ways, but in other ways, I know like the, the, the cost of hearing aids, most people wouldn't know that could easily have been a $3,000 to $5,000 hearing aid for him to just put it into drop it into a cup of coffee is like a beyond asshole move, you know, beyond the obvious like safety and communication and all that kind of stuff. That is an experience offensive move for him to do
2: which again is just another aspect of what this show is telling us about we we have focused for a season and a half now on imagine what allison's m- life must be like in the real world in the single cam world if you if you take the stuff kevin does to her out of the laugh track out of the live audience multi-cam bright world and put it in the single cam imagine what that must be like well you're bringing up a great point we have a laugh track and we have the bit of he drinks the coffee and spits it out. Oh, it's waxy. And Allison drinks it and spits it out. Both of those, by the way, I definitely triggered a, a gag reflex in me. Both of those made me nauseous seeing them yeah. swallow the hearing aid. But yes. so we have a laugh track and we're being told it's funny, but imagine in the real world, this poor woman loses this $1000 plus you know multiple multiple $1000 plus hearing aid that she needs to hear that she cannot hear with she makes it very clear I know
1: you mean lose it like like he took it from her I know how you mean it but but to be clear she left it in a safe place with an adult person like she purposely left it upstairs on the kitchen table where it would be easy to find with someone who knew where it was right and was going to so that it wouldn't get damaged uh, you know no can i say as like an actual hearing aid owner in, in the world, it would be pretty uncommon to do that. She'd probably have a case in her purse and would have put it in her in a case in her purse. So that part again, like I understand the show's rooted in reality, but then sometimes not rooted in reality like that. She would take it with. It's not crazy to me for the idea of like leaving it somewhere where someone else would have an eye on it.
2: So and and so much of what we're talking about. Imagine all imagine all of these conversations, all of these interactions with Kevin, I cannot implore enough. Imagine they're taking place in the single cam world. Uh, Let's get off of giving him the pass because there's a laugh track and because it's brightly lit. And this episode's not even brightly lit because it's in the middle of a blackout. But let's remove the laugh track and the audience uh, cueing us to to laugh or find it funny. Put it in the single cam world. This guy is a monster. He is a monster in the way in which he interacts with people. So it is fitting that at the end of the episode when it comes back out, I'm going to jump to when diane and neil come back in from their kissy face moment everyone kind of turns on them. let's play this clip right here
0: i got nothing see neil no wait what i guess you're pretty good at accusing people of stealing
2: your dumb generator yeah and causing blackouts
0: (laughs) yeah i'm starting to think that maybe i should cause a blackout kill him (laughs) Uh, i'm hit him
2: I mean, on top of Sam right before that moment saying you've got to be held accountable for something. You have to take responsibility for something, Kevin. Like, the walls are closing in on Kevin.
1: It feels that way. Absolutely. And and everyone has their reasons. Okay, so we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, probably not even on the podcast. But I just kept asking you questions about Neil's record. And mm-hmm. when I was watching this episode and he basically a- accuses Neil... Of not being there uh, for the for the fireworks practice, and that's why things went awry. But also accusing him of of taking the generator, doing something with the generator. It made me have this like moment where I, I know I kept asking you this. The whatever record that Neil has, which I think we know is arson, if I'm remembering correctly. It's making me feel like it was Kevin and that Neil took the fall because he's accused all the time. I, between that and then the whole, like, cutting off his toe. Again, imagine that in a single cam. Imagine him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm throwing up. Like we said last time, you know, it's coming, like, line after line after line, The the, the things that he does, but the severity and the, like, like serious consequences of what he does is like coming harder and harder and
2: all coming to the surface like it's all being brought out everyone knows and as everyone has just kind of looked the other way but now that's not happening for him all you know that kevin touch of luck because he's so lovable and could do no wrong that he's trying to teach in lesson 16 to sam it's kind of you know that luck is seemingly running out on him but he's also shooting himself in the foot though i mean let's play this clip because it's one thing for him to start to lose pete you expect sam is not going to be a big fan diane these are not people who are necessarily going to come to his aid in any way but he turns on neil in a spectacular fashion which leads neil to saying this i mean this is i mean talk about isolated sound clips that are great
0: Kill him!
2: i mean i've been playing that clip for like two hours at this point <laughs> in my just because i find it so funny um but let's listen to this clip right here
0: and ironic all right which one of these losers was it kev well neil I'd say it's the biggest.
2: I'm going to stop right there only because point. Listen, how on Kevin's side, Neil is at the start of this clip, even with all of the shit that's happened, even with all of the confusion going on in Neil's life, he's still ride or die at the start of this clip, this clip that's less than a minute long.
0: All right. Which one of these losers was it? Kev? Well, Neil, I'd say it's the biggest loser of all because you stole the generator. (laughs) And you've lost weight recently. Congrats. What? You can't be serious. I'm as serious as Dad's coronary event, which they're now classifying as inevitable. What?
2: I have nothing to leave you.
0: You've been sabotaging me all day. You bailed on fireworks practice, which is why I shot him too low, which is how I blew up that giant electrical transformer this afternoon. Wait, it's your fault the power is out? No, it's Neil's fault. Gosh, weren't you listening? I was
2: listening. You really believe after everything we've been through, I'd steal from you?
0: Not only do I believe it, I know it to be true. In fact, this case is wide open and slammed shut. (laughs) Just like the car door, which I caught dad's hand in earlier today.
2: The fuck with this guy. Jesus Christ! He's, he is on a rampage of destruction always. And it's just not funny. That's why this episode feels so different. The antiky stuff is just hitting so close to home. This is not like torturing the neighbor across the yard that we don't get to see. This is not like whatever Arson, him, and Neil have done in the past together. This isn't like any of the, of, like, getting rid of the furniture in the house from season one. These are the people we have come to know and, and 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 see on a weekend and week out basis, these are the people that he's surrounded with 24 hours a day and he treats them all like shit. And the fact that he has this like
1: motto about how, you know, tears and, and apologies are for, every, you know, you have to let them let them all go unless you're a man. Talk about horrible, horrible crap to have to listen to.
2: I was so I mean, even the 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 part at the very end of that clip about slamming Pete's hand in the door, I hadn't noticed a rap on Pete's hand, but I didn't really like clock it until yeah. he calls attention to it. I'm like
1: what? Yeah, like Pete has a rap on his hand. Yeah. Like I mean he's literally like physically injuring everyone.
2: Que, que I mean, right. I mean, he says, I don't even know what it means. He delights in just the buffoonery and, and, and the asinineness of it all. Any of this in the in the single cam world. And it's it's, the, it's the heinous. It is heinous human behavior. It is not how other humans should treat other humans. It's It's shocking. It's shocking. I mean, and it propels Neil. I mean, Neil goes out when he punches the wall, Caroline. It made me flinch
1: i did too i went no, not I only
2: too. the pain that he obviously must have felt I, I i did taekwondo i've i've punched bricks i have kicked bricks i have kickboards it, it, you do it wrong it can it can hurt a lot uh and it, so not only beyond the pain the anger behind him doing it like it was visceral like i felt it i felt it in my soul when he when he does it oh
1: same and and the and the absolute like fruitlessness to the whole thing and and just like it just frustration of nothing like you're literally punching a brick wall, like I mean there's just like nothing that's going to come of it and that's like where Neil's at like he can't do anything to to like get through to this guy and that's you know that's Allison I mean we have that moment where she blows up in City Hall where she's just like ah you know I feel like that's one of the few moments we've had where some of these characters are really you know it's back to the breaking the glass in the hand where you just you're seeing people just be like enough is enough
2: on that moment of he's just exploding with his anger like physically punching the wall because the alternative of what else he might do is maybe too much for him to even mentally bear but Diane follows him out which I love I love that she follows him out I think it's such a very sweet moment but then they have that kind of angry you know passion filled kiss kind of sexy biz I was I was all about it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
2: I, yeah, I mean, it felt right, right? I mean, even in the short amount of time that these two have spent together, and we, we can jump ahead, we can jump back to the beginning of the episode and talk about Neil and Diane. You know, they've really only had that little bonding moment at the end of uh, Patty's horrible birthday party, and then they have the moment in the beginning of the episode where he comes in and he kind of comes to her rescue with the gross doctor who has returned, yeah. and, and they bond over the the discount and the drinking in, in Deftos, even though it's technically illegal. That little moment, those 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 little moments strung together make that kiss totally believable for me. I feel like it's totally earned the way two people struggling in their lives, their closest partners, you know, Chuck for Diane, Kevin for Neil have have let them down in the worst ways. And so they're just kind of turning to each other in this angry, passion filled moment. Totally earned to me.
1: When he did tell the other guy to knock it off, I mean, that's so unheard of, you know? Like, I mean, nobody sticks up for the Dianes like that in those situations. You wish they would every time, but no one does. It was a good—another example how we say, like, you know, other— characters are showing these small moments that you could apply to Allison like like the abuse that like the retail person has to take from like these shitty customers you know the Kevins if you will of like coming through and, and having Neil have that realization of like I've known this guy since I was two and I always thought he was an asshole basically it's like Neil can suddenly see it in everyone it's like he has like brand new eyes right and he's had enough of everyone's being an
2: asshole he is like Dorothy come out the house in Oz everything is Technicolor now for Neil in a way that I don't think it was at the start of this at the start of the season. I, I think that that beer bottle being broken over his head I think has led to his life being his eyes being opened in a way that I don't know if it would have ever happened.
1: Sometimes there's times I'm sure when he wishes he could just put his head back under the covers and not have to have seen any of this or realized it because the whole illusion is shattered, you know. And but now what do you do? And that's where the frustration getting back to that exact scene you're talking about, the punching the wall, the frustration of like, yeah, so you know that the system and the dynamic here is all screwed up. Now what are you going to do?
2: Right. I mean, think back to earlier in the season when he's trying to steal the money in the middle of the night. Right. Patty comes out with a baseball bat and, you know, he wants some weed and and he's trying to take money from her. He says, I just want all of this to go away. I just want to pretend like none of this has happened like he's he's done with Patty and Allison. he He just wants it to be reset to how it was because he can't he literally cannot deal with it at this moment. But now, maybe with Diane, maybe he has a little spark,
1: maybe until so Diane says that line, like of like, this has to stay in the alley because Chuck still has that sawed off.
2: Who knows? Maybe Neil doesn't have the sense to uh, to run away from a shotgun. But let's go to the beginning of the episode, though, no, because that really does give the context to why that kiss I think is believable. Which again, I think it totally is. Doctor Gates is back. For those that don't remember or haven't rewatched the series, way back in episode in season one, in episode two, I believe it was, uh, when Allison first gets the painkill overdose when she's fir- when she first gets the idea to kill Kevin via overdose, she goes to her. Doctor. Who is this doctor in this episode? Dr. Gates. And tries to sell him on back pain so that he'll uh, prescribe some oxy. And he's not buying it like right out of the back, right out of the gate. Like he questions her on it. But if if I remember correctly, you and I both had a problem with him because he insisted on bringing Kevin into it, as if she was not a grown adult woman who could handle her own business. He was putting upon her that she needed to bring her husband into it to make these kinds of decisions. I
1: definitely. I remember him saying something like what does kevin think about this right and it was like wait wait like why did you even ask that
2: yeah so dr gates had some real misogyny that we had a problem with way back in episode two of season one and here he is again we haven't seen him you know in a season in in, in a handful of episodes and he's still pulling the same nonsense let's take a listen to this gross misogynistic doctor
0: did right, you and chuck patch things up like a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. Good for you. No one stays together anymore. You bet. I know that thing with Tanya seemed bad. But, you know, I love my Miller Lite, that doesn't mean I'm not going to sip from some Sam if there's an open bar. Buddy, there's a line. I'm talking to you. Excuse me. Uh, tell Chuck um, he still owes me for his bull and deuce, okay? Thank you. Guy's been my doctor since I was two. Even then, I knew he was a dick. Six pack, seven eighty nine. That's two dollars cheaper than usual. I'm. I used my employee discount for you. Just this once. Don't get used to it. Oh
2: shit. And then he goes back, and he adds some more to the to the purchase, so he gets the discount on it but dr gates this this bullshit of good for you, no one stays together anymore in marriage kind of thing. one is such a a shitty comment to to make about someone that you don't know the inner workings of their life. Why would you even say that? What you don't know what chuck has put her through or what their marriage is actually like. This just idea of we stay together because we stay together because that's the thing you do, which is something that back in season 1 Diane would preach to Allison in different ways, you know, when she would tell her to wear shoes that were destroying her feet so that Kevin could be happy. Don't wear a dirty smock the with the Belichick you know, cut off hoodie because think about how Kevin wants it. This is shit that Diane would preach to Allison, but now Diane's through the looking glass and she's getting this stuff preached to her by this gross fucking old man doctor. But then on top of it, he call, he does the Miller Lite Sam Adams comparison. Super gross. I, I'm not a woman, but I... I and so no no guy is ever saying any of this to me. No fucking old man doctor is ever going to come up to me at six foot, big burly dude, and, and try and sell me on this. And I still wanted to beat the shit out of him. I don't know what Diane must have felt. If, if her fists weren't curled in anger to hit him...
1: Yeah, I don't even think that it did get like that. I think she was just, she was absolutely resigned. Like, like, yeah, not only am I being compared to a beverage for him, for his, like, you know, use whenever he wants to, but also, like, I should just be cool with it. You know, that he's, like, having affairs or doing whatever. Like, the whole thing is just, oh, it's so demeaning. But I don't see her getting upset. He She doesn't do anything to change it. She's just like par for the course. What else would you expect him to say? You know,
2: Uh, that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. You're hundred percent correct, but
1: could you imagine, could you imagine another man saying to you about your wife? Hey, you know, she had an opportunity to go sleep with another guy. Like who, who can't understand that? What would you do?
2: I'm not really, it takes a lot for me to, to be, agitated to hit someone but i would have had a response it would have been loud it would have been profane it would have been threatening i don't here's the thing no guy would ever say that to me it just wouldn't happen. And that's the point. I would get the reaction that Neil gets uh, when he turns around. Because the doctor is all bravado until he turns around and he has to look up three inches into Neil's face. And then he shuts the fuck up real quick. That that's, that's the reality of it. This is who this doctor is. That scene, beyond what he says to Diane, the weakness that he shows that he shuts his mouth when he turns his head around and he sees Neil... That tells you what you need to know about this guy, this little tiny piece of shit guy. This is how he talks to women. This is how he talks to, to other men until he realizes they can literally be, pulverize him into pulp. That's what you need to know about this. And I, I, I'll tell you why I'm agitated about this.
1: Because uh, you certainly are.
2: Because when we had that episode in season one, in episode two, and we took this doctor to task for being a piece of shit misogynist. There were several comments directed at us that we were way off base, that that it was too, that we were reading too much into it, that obviously he just had her, he had her best interest in heart. Hey, he was a piece of shit then. He's a piece <laughs> of shit now. And if you think otherwise, please don't share it with me, because then I have strong feelings about you. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> This is indefensible fucking behavior. It's no, it it's indefensible is. fucking behavior, it and it, absolutely y- is. Y- y'all. And, and if you how- think this is cool, you're probably a Kevin, and you need to take a long fucking look in the mirror. <laughs> you need to have a Sam come to Jesus moment.
1: My instinct is to stop you, but I'm not going to. So you go.
2: You no, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. I because I, I've been I've been stewing on it for eleven episodes.
1: I'm smiling because it's. So every day like and that's the that's the thing. I think the people who had an issue with us back in episode two, I would hope if you've continued to listen or if you've just continued to watch or whatever, because you may never hear this. I certainly hope that you see that those types of comments are they're so difficult for for especially women to deal with, but I'm sure men deal with them too on some level because no one believes them. Because they just are are watered down and being told, oh, it's just, you're taking it the wrong way. You're being what? Sensitive. You're just being too sensitive. And the reality is that, no, I mean, when you especially have a show like this, which at this point I think The speed in which all of these things are happening, I think these last episodes are going to be like fast and furious for us. I think it's going to come at us in such a way that it's going to take a lot to process, like everything. But I encourage you guys to like watch an episode and then go back and rewatch it again. Because when you're catching these individual lines, like all we're talking about is a checkout line with like two customers. That's it. And this whole scene lasts all of like two minutes or something in the scene, think of how angry you just got, <laughs> you know? And no, nobody like threw you know, hands, nobody like, you know, the, the man didn't like call her any names, none of those things, but just the casual everyday nastiness that women specifically have to deal with. It's like mind blowing when we see it like this, like really, really giving a chance because it's so dense in this episode and it just feels like, oh, my God, I can't barely breathe. And how much we're seeing it just scene after
2: scene. It's just relentless. It's just it's just relentless. The heinous behavior in this episode is just relentless. And and if Kevin isn't enough by himself, then you have this piece of shit come along buying his alcohol from this woman that he is just casually demeaning without even thinking about it and of course of course he is on the bowling team with chuck and of course chuck hasn't paid his fucking dues everything you need to know about who these people are is right here yeah like he's
1: literally saying what a stand-up guy chuck is and also chuck hasn't paid (laughs) Like,
2: mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, so from there, uh, there was a nice moment in this because it's actually right after here where where Neil doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to go home, which I give Neil credit. He doesn't want to go home and drink in his apartment alone because obviously that is where he would be going to. Right. But he wants to be with someone. He wants to have some human contact. So he wants to drink here with Diane and the power goes out. And we had seen it right before then. Sam and Allison were in Bev's diner and the power kind of winked out then patty of course is by herself and the power goes out just a nice detailed moment they didn't need to show us the power going out for all three of them we would have understood it but it was just a nice who are you with the way the power kind of goes out it doesn't go out with a big explosion like the transformer must have made it doesn't go out with a cacophony of noise it just goes
1: the end of the world right just goes out with a winter
2: it just goes out with a winter because that's everyday life just like dr gates's comment in passing this wasn't him wounding up on his soapbox this was wasn't this wasn't even, he wasn't th- even
1: yelling at her and he, like he really didn't it was just that casual like he wasn't really wasn't thinking about the it the
2: second he left Deftos, he didn't if he thought about any part of this interaction it was about how fucking big neil was he didn't go home and think about like man i really gave diane what for about her place as a woman it didn't even occur to him that he was being a piece of shit it did didn't didn't even occur to him
1: crazy
2: so let's fast forward to the end of the episode then we have the sexy biz listen to that context that we've just set out now you understand why diane one would follow neil out right because they haven't had a ton of time together but that's a significant moment where he kind of comes to her defense
1: oh it's huge huge Huge
2: moment for diane especially i don't know that neil is thinking about it being a huge moment i think he was just kind of doing what was right in the moment
1: oh but that's not neil so that's some that's some major growth and again this is a serious authority figure for him that's been his doctor since he's been two years old i mean this is somebody who he knows well and he's willing to stick up for diane like that like that's that's something so
2: that's why when she one follows him out and then two kisses him or he kisses her and but she she reciprocates it in a, in that moment of like swept up passion fueled by anger at kevin in the moment that's why it's believable because they set the groundwork here earlier in the episode on top of the bonding moment. Neil didn't have to leave the bar early. He didn't have to come into the backyard and drink with Diane at the end of the episode. He didn't have to try and soften the blow of her not drinking alone. Think back to that conversation. Now play this scene. Them kissing in the alley makes sense. It feels earned. It feels believable in the moment. Then we have this great clip here at the end, which I think is one of my favorite Neil moments of the series. You... Hid the generator, right? What? Come on. (laughs)
0: Pete would never. I don't even think Lorraine knew there was a generator, and I didn't do it, so... Are you smarter than Kevin?
2: Not if you ask Kevin.
0: Yeah, okay, I did. Think of it as payback on Kevin for trying to set me up with Pete. Hmm. So what are you gonna do? Rat on me?
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Duncan. You want anything? I loved his little hmm like, he was really kind of in the moment deciding what he, what how he felt. Because this is a big, this is a traitorous moment in the grand scheme of Kevin's life and Neil's role up till now as Kevin's, like, lieutenant in life. The, you could see why this would be a traitorous moment for her just to be casually admitting to. This is a big deal for Neil. This is a big deal for Neil that this is how he responds to it.
1: Yeah, like, I loved his little hmm. Oh, I loved it too, yeah. I, I, my girl ears heard that totally as like, just like the, the littlest smirk, you know, with her of like, nah, it's our little secret kind of thing. That felt like very bonding, you know?
2: Let's reel it back even to the beginning of it where he has put it together and she doesn't immediately admit it or deny it. Her reaction is, are you smarter than Kevin? Which is not something she's clearly ever considered before. And his reaction is the best. And that's why I love the scene so much is not if you ask Kevin. He understands it too. Kevin understands what he is doing when he manipulates people, as he showed in this episode. And Neil also understands his role in their two person dynamic. He knows that if you ask Kevin, Kevin would say, obviously, I am more smart, I am more intelligent than Neil. But Neil is saying, yeah, I am, by demonstrating the fact that he understands his place with Kevin. It's really smart writing. It's really great character growth or character development for Neil, having that glimpse behind the, cl- the curtain. Because it also ties back to pa- uh, to Patty in, in the first episode of the season, where she tells Allison... He's not helpless. He He's not an idiot. He just makes you think he is so that you'll help him and do things for him. Neil also knows what's going on.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I that's what I'm going back to the pancakes. Yeah, he knows. He knows exactly what he's doing. I was surprised at how charming he was in the Diane, Pete, Kevin conversation when he was trying to say when he was trying to, like, get Diane to be more attractive to Pete. There were things that he was saying and, like, really trying to pull out of her in the last episode that really, I mean, it revealed a lot. About Neil and like what he actually can do. He just always steps aside to let Kevin take the, you know, spotlight.
2: We've also I feel like we've had a lot of podcasts where we have described characters as Eddie Haskell types.
1: Are we drawn to shows with Eddie Haskell in them?
2: I feel like we have invoked Eddie Haskell even in this podcast, but usually referring to Kevin, but all of these kind of manipulation, what you're talking about and stuff. Coming from Neil with his kind of when he wants to projects a very boyish vibe about him. Charming. It's very charming, but it's a very charming in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Um and there's a little bit of that going on here. When he says, like, Oh, I'm not gonna get it for you. Would you like to come to Duncan With Me kind of thing?
1: See, and that is a practiced situation. That's what I'm saying. He's actually good with women. Just think of how that scene plays out in ninety other ninety percent of the other shows we watch. He gets flustered. Because she just gives him the order and is expecting him to bring it back when he is asking her to go with. But most of the time, men get flustered and he doesn't get flustered. He's like, no, girl. You're coming with me. He's way more smooth. He actually has game and uses it. And she's like, okay. Like, she goes right along with him. He actually has game, y'all.
2: Like, he shifts from being real smooth. Like, I, you know, I'm asking if you want to go with me. And then she's like, sure, fine, whatever. And he's like, yeah, fine, whatever. Like, then they kind of get cool again.
1: Yeah, but that's smooth. That's smooth.
2: I love it. I love it. I love. I I I love how they're they're doing everything
1: here. Yeah. I'm. I. You know. I don't know that Diane and Neil. I mean, come on. We can't ignore the Chuck factor, and we can't ignore that this isn't. This isn't actually a good thing for Diane. This isn't really a good thing for anybody. But you know, we can appreciate the playfulness and the fact that he actually. 100% can get women. Like, we haven't seen him with a girlfriend, which makes me super sad because in reality, he's actually good around women.
2: When would he ever have the chance, though, when he devotes his life to Kevin? That's the thing. Literally the first time he's probably had in 20 years to have his own exploration with women.
1: Although, I don't know. No, he... mm. He's had girls back to that basement. That's the thing. He's too good at this.
2: Yes. But the second Kevin calls, though, he's leaving those girls in the basement. Right. He's rolling out of bed to go answer Kevin's call up until right now. Like, so, yes, I'm sure he's had lady visitors and, and, and lady visitors and women and stuff. <laughs> but they were always in a second position.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah.
2: For sure. I mean, think when Kevin calls and he's smoking the weed, he he's like, "I'll be right over, buddy," and then smacks himself before getting up to go. Very you know.
1: Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, I don't want to go, but he's still going to show up.
2: Yes, of course. Uh, you mentioned Chuck. You invoked Chuck. So let's let's uh, under Chuck much. Okay. I I cannot get over this because it passes in the multicam, and so you just gloss over it unless you're paying attention and you're thinking about what that would be like in the single cam. How do they all show up at Bev's diner when the power goes out? Kevin tracked her location on his phone. Yes. Guys, he tracked her location on his phone. What the actual
1: fuck? That's not the first time they've told us that he tracks her phone, but again, it just, I mean, I hope people are really having this, like, hammer home, you know, that this is not okay, like, what he's doing, what might have come off as, like, season one, oh, you're just reading too much into it, oh, spouses have, find my phone on their phone, no, this is different, and he uses it in a a way that is much different.
2: Right, he's not using it because he's concerned about her safety.
1: Or losing her phone and helping her find it.
2: He wants to know where she is, and he and is going to go there. He watches
1: it. He tracks it.
2: Like he's Harry Potter with the Marauder's Map. He watches. <laughs> he watches where she is. It's it's the same thing. I don't think we should compare Harry Potter. Oh, right. That.
1: that seems wrong. Maybe. I don't love Harry
2: Potter as much as you love Harry Potter, but that just doesn't seem right. Well, okay, that's fine. So, yeah, I, he he's <laughs> he is stalking Allison. He tracked her phone. And yeah. again, there's a laugh track and and she's like, "Oh, she's very over the top like, why why are you here?" And he, and and it just kind of goes right by like just without even without anyone uh, double taking. Not even Sam mm-hmm. does a double take. But I'm sitting here like he tracked her fucking phone and then came there? And and brought the whole entourage is so insane. Guys, imagine, imagine that in the single cam. It's like single white female. Oh, it's, it's it's the whole Chuck thing. It's the
1: whole Chuck in the, you It's Chuck
2: down to South Carolina to, to bring Diane home so she can see what she's been missing. That's why in my notes it says Chuck much. Because it's exactly what Chuck did in the single cam to bring Diane home. It's disturbing, terrifying behavior. Uh, before we leave the whole sitcom plot, because I think we're just about out of uh, the all of that Kevin-related stuff, we have to talk about the tone shift that we see in this episode. We've been talking about the tone shift in the multicam all season, the fact that Allison is getting jabs in at Kevin in the multicam, the fact that she's getting laughs on the laugh track at his expense. This episode had the, like, watershed moment because it wasn't just the one-on- one which it's been so far where she jabs back at him she yells shut up she yells I'd rather be dead or I'd rather fake my own death that was all really one on one stuff in this episode we get this clip we're going to call it the mistake clip
0: let's go find some fuel Allison be reasonable it's a blackout I can't send two helpless women out into the post apocalyptic wild to die because I made the first mistake of my life Kevin your father's a priest and your mother's a nun Think about it. Your whole life was based on a mistake. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, go look for gas then. Okay. You're leaving me? Yeah. It'll be a blast. Kevin's a real clown.
2: Everyone laughs at Kevin. I, when was the only... Could you think of a time in the, in the course of the first 13 episodes of this show, including this episode, where, he, where everyone laughed at him as the butt of a joke?
1: Mm-mm. No, major, major corners being turned here.
2: You have to acknowledge it. If, if you're someone who's watching the show for the deeper meaning, you have to acknowledge how big a moment that is. Pete, Neil, Diane, everyone is laughing at him here. That's just huge. And I like the end of it. I kept the clip going as long as I did, because Allison gets a little digging at Sam by saying that he's a real clown. As in like, yeah,
1: yeah. you'll see. Spend a day.
2: Spend a fucking day with Kevin and you'll see. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I don't do we need to talk more about the fact that Kevin in the beginning of this episode is is so incensed that she got a little paragraph about her swim team that took focus away from him that blocked the ability to talk about his quips and maxims
1: I mean, I think that we cannot forget that in the previous episodes he was really pissed about the reporter. That's what made my skin tingle when he was like bringing this whole thing up is because like two epi- like an episode ago or two episodes ago he says something like, you know, that he ha- he needs to do something about this reporter, something like that. That was just so little, but then when it came then when it was like all about Allison in this article, I was like, "Oh man." Like <laughs> For me, I can't. I cannot get out of my head the fact that he got Allison in so much trouble with her boss and made her lose her job. Like that whole situation. When you were talking about, oh, like the the, the damage done. When we're talking about the severity level of what he's able to do to people, it's really scaring me about like what he's able to do and like
2: what he's capable know. of.
1: Yeah, like cutting nails toe off i mean i just uh so all these things like the bigger things keep floating back to the top for me and and that and allison and the job thing continues to to nag at me and everything with this article the way that it keeps coming around like i'm surprised it came back up again like why are we talking about it again i mean well what else could it mean i mean obviously for allison it's her old life you know we see her as you know it's it's being used as like a you didn't finish something you started you know you you quit it junior year like why why is this article keep keep coming back this is too many times for it to keep be brought up for this type of show, especially for Kevin, to bring it up like two or three times. Well, now? that's
2: and in a multicam set, right? That, yeah, think about it's your sitcoms. Too much. Sitcoms reset; there isn't carryover episode to episode. So, why this aspect? What's up? Is it just to remind us that? Kevin can't share the spotlight even when it ostensibly helps him in his mayoral campaign to have this good press right the cops seem impressed uh, at Allison that must that must in, increase his standing among the cops knowing that so the article probably does help the wild dude but he can't see it because like having a baby or a dog in a house or celebrating someone else's birthday it pulls focus from him is it just there to be a reminder of that or is it more about the metaphor of this is allison's old life and allison is getting ready to quit this current life and begin now a third life under the gertrude Franch name
1: i uh, 1000 percent want us to put that article up on our big bulletin board because it's been brought up too many times and it is it's obviously under kevin's skin more and more and more And it just it doesn't feel right that it keeps
2: coming up. You're more community minded than I am. And I feel like you have been involved in more community activities in your life than I probably have. Okay. Do you think it's normal that they would start having Fourth of July preparation in February to the point where they actually have fireworks available to test?
1: I mean, no, it's not legal here. (laughs) It's only legal to purchase, like, fireworks, like, at certain, like, the day or two before Fourth of July and, like, the day or two before New Year's. So, no, it makes no sense to me why they would have it. But also, Kevin 100% seems like the kind of person who has... Access always to fireworks.
2: <laughs> why would why would this town put him in? Uh, the, talk about really not understanding who Kevin is. Why would you put this maniac in charge of fireworks? Because they don't
1: because know. They're all in the same boat. It's a boat of Kevin's. What are you talking about?
2: You're under, it's a boat of Kevin's, but it just makes like me, why
1: would a b- bunch of Kevin's put a Kevin in charge? Because they're all Kevin's. Because they're
2: all Kevin's. Because they're <laughs> who all Kevin's. was the
1: other choice?
2: I gotta tell you, I was super psyched to get a firm month identification of. <laughs> from from the cops in this episode
1: <laughs> you always do enjoy a a, a timeline marker
2: uh, this show is hard they never celebrate holidays there are never any decorations up, any of like the set dressing I mean, we, we talked to Beth Kushnick uh, on our other podcast uh, that you do with Beth um, decorating the set from Hollywood to your home the The top layer changing over on a TV show to indicate time period and holidays is a big thing it 's a big part of set dressing. This show goes out of its way to never ever reveal when it is taking place other than a coat or some cold breath in the air they're always wearing coats though they're always wearing coats i mean you know it is chilly a lot of layers
1: you know what i'm i'm gonna go with that same shit different day that's the motto of this show, right? So then you can't have definitive timelines. You can't have... It doesn't matter. Oh, it's summertime. Oh, it's... It, not only does it not matter, but it's also important that the days bleed into one another. There, It, like, literally never ends.
2: I love that. That makes a ton of sense, especially with this show. I There's I like, no breathe hole. There's no... They forgot to leave a breathe hole.
1: There's not a breathe
2: hole in this show. Uh-uh.
0: God damn it!
2: No breathe hole. No breathe hole. All right. Let's shift over to... Actually, let's finish off Allison and Sam. Because because Allison does have that great line of, you love spending a day with Kevin. He's a real clown. <laughs> And Sam says, you know, he's disgusted with Kevin, but also acknowledges that in his horrible marriage advice, Sam seems to have learned something about himself. The important thing here is that he apologizes to Allison. He apologizes for firing her, apologizes for making it about himself and not really having sympathy or empathy for her situation until today where it feels like he's learned something, uh, gives her her job back. Allison kisses him. In a moment that doesn't seem thought out, it seems very spur of the moment, but then begins to cry and apologize immediately. That's interesting enough. But for me, the camera pulls out at that moment. It had been really tight on the two of their faces when that was happening. When she starts to cry and he doesn't really know how to react. Take a look at it again, guys. The camera pulls back. It doesn't pull all the way out of Bev's diner, but it pulls back a decent amount and it shows you them in a wider angle. It felt to me like it was something indecent or something private that we weren't supposed to see, like a vulnerability that we weren't supposed to see, or just this moment in general that we weren't supposed to see. Like we walked in on this very, very private, vulnerable moment of Allison's. I thought it was a really interesting camera movement. That, That was what was left with. I don't know if you noticed it. I don't know if it means anything. I'm curious what you think of that end scene between Sam and Allison, and does it mean anything for the two of them going forward?
1: It felt like a breakthrough that, I mean, he finally understood, you know, her circumstances and finally was able to stop making it about, you know, their, like, Back and forth their own little crap that was going on and really realize the importance of what Allison was trying to do and and why, why he needed to be more supportive and how he's played into it this whole time by being one of the like turning a blind eye people of like it's not that big of a deal. You're making you're being too sensitive, all that kind of business. So. You know, that camera motion for me felt like not exactly a happy ending because that's not exactly right. But that's what you do at the end of a situation, kind of like back up and show the town or whatever, you know, there's some closure.
2: For me, it it struck me, I think, a little bit different because it starts to move back when Allison it's not kissing sam it's it's the breakdown that she kind of has afterwards it's not clear why she's apologizing to him i i guess other than uh, not to put us through this physical thing again kind of thing like you know we've already been down that path but it feels like it's something more it feels like it feels like it's actually the extension of and this is why sam wouldn't understand it feels like it's really the extension or the end of the conversation that she's had with patty the whole episode uh which we're we're, we're getting there we're getting there pretty quickly but it feels like this was a breakthrough or a breakdown moment on her half that's why it struck me as something personal why the camera would pull back like like look away like she she's she's too raw here we're seeing we're seeing allison in too raw a moment okay it's all hitting her the the gertrude franchness of it all the her her 15 years of life with kevin and failure and and excuses all of it is hitting her in this episode and i think she has her final kind of i'm not holding together well in this moment where sam you know apologizes to her and i think it's almost almost overwhelms her
1: yeah the relief that she got through to somebody that someone saw yeah. him for what he was i mean i think she kissed him because you know it's it's like just absolute relief and joy that like oh my god it's possible for someone to see kevin for who he is yeah oh my god that Yeah. that
2: must be absolutely huge for allison i i don't even know that we could fully appreciate being in her in her shoes at that moment but yeah that must be huge because i mean obviously patty sees it but patty was much much easier to convince to it. She just needed to make her an ally. Sam acknowledging his Kevinness himself for him to see Kevin for who he is. Yeah, that's a huge thing. It's a huge development. I want to go back to the beginning of the episode with these two. She comes in and says, oh, I just need $100 in order to get the death certificate. She doesn't ask him for the money, but she does mention the amount. And he Mm -hmm. says, no, I'm not giving you the money. And she's like, what? I didn't
1: ask. I didn't ask you. It's (laughs) gameplay. It's a specific
2: kind of person that does what Sam is accusing Allison of. I'm curious if you've known these people. I am for sure know I have known these people in my life that ask for especially money without directly asking for the money. But is it fair of Sam to assume that's what she's doing here? Because this is a thing between these two, and especially the season. Like Patty, Sam often now assumes the worst thing about Allison, assumes the most malicious motive or duplicitous motive of Allison. Is that fair of him to take that approach here in this conversation?
1: I mean, I think it's just learned behavior, like we talked in the last episode about, about, you know, she's going to come in and, you know, she's going to look all flustered and then she's going to maybe just lay it right out there. Or, But if you think about it, I mean, going back to the uncle and everything with the pawn shop and everything, like she comes across to him in a certain way every time that he already is looking for, like, what is it she's asking me for? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean you know do i blame sam for that no do i think allison's unique in that no i mean you know she did give an exact dollar amount so i mean that is a very like
2: do you need the money (laughs) let's and here's the thing sam doesn't know this but in fact she was scamming him for the money because she didn't actually need a hundred dollars she only needed 71 she's only honest about that with with Patty, he assumes this thing. She acts all indignant, but in fact, she didn't actually need a hundred dollars. She needed seventy one, so she clearly was trying to get him to give her the money. Which is the, the, the kind, the irony of it all. It is all gameplay. You said it perfectly. It's all gameplay. They're all just kind of playing games with each other all the time. It's exhausting to watch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely exhausting to 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 try to like give reason behind it because there's there's no. You don't have to have a reason like she has to manipulate people and deal with this kind of stuff because of her circumstances. She can't. She doesn't have another place to get the money. So unfortunately, she's gotten into these, you know, relationship dynamics where this is how she talks and interacts with people. And the people already are expecting that she needs something from them. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's not what she would want, I'm sure. But it's the way it works
2: out. But it's 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 marriage lesson sixteen but in being put into practice. What is a what is a attractive woman in a broken situation to do to get a hundred dollars if she needs it? Well, you tell the story of, I need this thing, and I can't get it from Kevin, and oh, what am I going to do? Did you hear me? Do I have to turn to you and say it again? Like, you know, she's using the thing that makes it undeniable for her to get. In the same way, Kevin advises Sam to use his sensitivity in being an AA and, and coming across as broken and sensitive. This is what allison i mean it, this is what Kevin would advise Allison to do in the same situation. You need a hundred dollars. This is your approach,
1: well, and I know you said attractiveness, but I'm gonna say she's she's really using their history, yeah, it that's, really that's wouldn't true. a thousand percent matter what she looks like she's she's really using their history and and she knows that you know he has a soft spot for her, obviously.
2: What do you think of this? This is a great moment of brutal honesty, but maybe also reveals a shitty behavior side. And again, not unique to Sam, but he says, yeah, I wouldn't give any of the money. And I would do I used to do things for you when I thought we were going to be together. Like, you know, kind of like I didn't do it out of friendship. I did it because we were, you know, hooking up or whatever, or having sex in the back room kind of thing.
1: Well, it definitely makes it like transactional, right? It
2: does make it transactional. Is it, is it, I mean, but it's also honest. I think, I think that's how a lot of people operate. Yeah, with, you know, like, what are you going to do for me? You know, what am I getting out of it? Why would I give you $100? What am I going to get out of it? So shitty, but honest, I thought.
1: Yeah, realistic.
2: I don't know. Sam and Allison, I'm so curious where they go with Sam now, though, because does this open a door for them to get back together again? He's still not with Jen, right? He's sleeping in the diner. She's on this growth Spurt, but she's also getting ready to, to to leave town. She's about to Gertrude Franch out.
1: Yeah. No, I don't. I'm not. I don't get the vibe that Sam is. I, I think when, when I said there was closure in that moment of him understanding that he, you know, has parts of Kevin inside of him. And he also sees Kevin for what he is. That's enough for Allison to be like, my work here is done. And, like, can go. Because hopefully Sam you know, can work on that and be a better guy because of it and and have a more, you know, critical eye of of the Kevins around him. That feels wrapped up to me. I don't feel like that means, like, let's get back with Sam. And, like, because we got to move on. I mean, we know she wants to move on.
2: Move on or segue to move in.
0: I'm just going to say it. Okay. And think about how you want this to go before you respond. Tammy, just... Do you want to move in with me? I just like having you around, that's all. Actually, you might be the best thing in my life, and I want to spend all my time with you. I think it could be really good for both of us. Okay, you can respond at some point.
2: I just like having you around is all is one of those things that if someone said it to me would make my heart absolutely melt. Just need you near me to make my world better. If the person saying it means it sincerely is wonderful. Like the kind of thing that just makes a soft heart go mush. But... It's Tammy. And the last time (laughs) we saw Tammy before this scene, before we find out she's been dodging Patty for a week, is Tammy watching security footage in which Patty appears on it. So I am left to ask, is this just an ulterior motive to keep Patty closer to her?
1: I think it's that. I think it's you know, keep your friends close and your enemies even closer. It seems like if you're if you're sus about someone, you don't don't start yelling and pointing fingers and doing stuff, you're better off by saying, Why don't you come a little closer? Like where I can see your phone over your shoulder. All right. <laughs> like she's playing long game smooth.
2: If you found out that someone said this line to you just to, uh, just as a tool of emotional manipulation because they were investigating you, possibly criminally, <laughs> is this not maybe the worst offense of this show? Is, is this not maybe one of the worst things we've seen someone do to someone?
1: Shoot that is so hard i don't know if i don't know if i can hierarchy pain and and abuse to each other
2: of the manipulations we've seen at work in this show
1: a man took a woman's hearing aid that's that's that's
2: cruel that's a that's like actual physical abusive like behavior this is emotional manipulation this is like affairs of the heart this is really bad Uh, this is this is fucking with someone's literal like heart and emotions and saying i love you you make me better My world is better when you're here. If you don't mean that sincerely, that kind of makes you a monster. (laughs) If you
1: had to hit me up with this conversation 20 years ago, I'd be like, I'm outraged. This was terrible. What an awful person. Now at my age, I think I have a little bit different feel of it, which is like, if you have a soft heart, like I definitely do, then that comes with some level of, um, now as 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 at my own age and experience some level of like known uh, risk like I can either harden my heart up or if I'm going to be soft hearted I have to know and I do know this there are people who are going to take advantage of me and when I realize that I'm being taken advantage of for whatever reason my only way that I can handle that as as like a soft hearted person stay soft hearted is well They knew I was a soft hearted person and they did that to me. They decided to be like a dick to me. So really that says more about them than it really than, than like I'm so stupid and naive. It's I don't look at it like that anymore. I would have as a younger person, I look at it now, like I was open. I was loving. I, you know, in this case, Patty came to her house. She was being genuine. She really felt like what's going on. I'm, I'm concerned, Which I don't exactly... I'm like, Patty, girl, don't. (laughs) But she did. And so for her to get played like that, I mean... It hurts my heart because I know that's not where Patty is. Like she's gonna look at right. it. Patty like,
2: doesn't have that that life experience know, you have to you, get there. You
1: asked me how I handle no, it. No, no, I know. I, it's yeah. like my only way to to stay open hearted and to be like giving with two hands is that I know sometimes my hands gonna get bit. You know, and when it happens, I, you know, it hurts. But I, but I, but I say, you know what? That person's a jerk for biting me. I'm not a jerk for having my hands out. You know, like that's the way I have to look at it. So, but in this, I mean, in this case though so, i mean tammy just reeks of control like that's the whole thing for me the words are one thing but i didn't i don't really care what the words are what i care about is that i just want to draw you closer so that like i control like what you eat breathe see on the television set like i'm gonna just control every aspect of your life once you move in with me like they didn't move in to a joint house together you know like she's gonna come move in with tammy And now be on Tammy's turf.
2: Take her away from Neil. Take her away from Allison.
1: Yes. And that's where it wigs me out. It's just it's the cutting off of family. I've seen too many like after school specials where like one of the main things is like the one partner makes the other one like stop talking to their family and stop going to things and stop whatever like the cutting people out of the person's life. Is such a specific move? That's what scares me, and I know it should be maybe more that I love you and you make me feel so good, and blah blah blah. But I mean, that's just the mechanism, you know, for the bigger trap of control.
2: For the sake of balanced coverage,
1: you want to talk about Tammy?
2: I want to talk. I want to talk about Tammy, and I want to see if we can spin this in, if not, okay. if not a, a way that's defensible to us, defensible from P- Tammy's point of view.
1: Okay, here's my argument. Ready?
2: Okay.
1: I think Patty is a quality person who could really, really have a successful business and be an upstanding citizen in this community. I'm being Tammy. I honestly think that she is uh, ingesting things like, you know, cigarettes and and alcohol that I don't approve of and stuff like that. And so I want her to be healthier because I want her to live a long life and be healthy and be with me and and I'm going to protect her. And so I love her so much that living with her you know, uh, a loser brother next door to this, to this neighbor who just seems to constantly be like taking advantage of her and using her. I honestly believe that I have a healthier, safer, better environment where she can grow and be her true self and, um, you know, just really blossom into the person she's supposed to be, her true potential. That's my Tammy argument.
2: I think that's exactly right when she says I think it would be good for me, I think it would be good for both of us. I think that's the key line if you're a Tammy defender that you want to focus on because what I think she's saying and I'm I'm just piggybacking and adding to you in a more specific way is I know I have the security footage of you in Vermont Right at the exact same time when a man was attacked for pills that were found in the pocket of a guy you are connected to. And so come live with me because then I can take you away from the bad influences that led you in whatever the fuck that is that connects Vermont, the pills, Nick and you I don't think you're the one who drove the bus. I don't think you were the mastermind of it, but you're wrapped up in it. So come be with me and I can protect you from those bad influences, whether it's Allison, whether it's Neil. Uh, Presumably, those are the two people Tammy is thinking of as bad influences or the most bad influences in Tammy's life. Come be with me and I can shelter you from that. I am a cop and I can protect you from that. I can extricate you from those negative bad people in your life because you yourself have no free will and obviously just went along because you are mindless and just get controlled. So Neil or Allison controlled you to go to Vermont and be involved in this thing. So it will be good for you. That's her line. It will be good for you. It'll be good for both of us if you just come here because I can then control every aspect of your life in contact and remove you from that. And whatever your trouble you're in, I can be a barrier for that trouble going on.
1: And I think that line's key. Like if if you're with me, then you're like the partner of a cop. Then in theory, I can keep you safe. You know, I can make this footage go away. I can give an explanation. I can say it's not you. I can provide you an alibi. Millions of different things. So the closer you are, the better I can protect you.
2: Protect you as a cop. Yes. But I think for Tammy's point, because we can't ignore Tammy's control issues and her and her built in bias that she's coming at this with. Protect you as a cop from whatever you're involved in, but remove ongoing influence from those bad people in your life, whether it's Neil or Allison or both of them.
1: I mean, were you shocked when she said that? Were you shocked when she was just like, you come live with me? Yeah. It felt so weird and off, like, because my brain was like, she's going to, like, sell her family house. Like, it all seems too big like I don't see it actually happening because it's too freaking big like there's too many hurdles that Patty would have to jump to get out of that house
2: it seemed to me it it seemed odd because it just seems so for us who know what Tammy has now in her possession. And again, Patty doesn't know that, but we, we get to be as the viewer, we as the third party, we get to know what Tammy knows that Patty doesn't know. So it came off as extremely insincere to me. That uh, that can't actually be what you want, knowing what you have in your possession. This all smells of some kind of ruse or kind, of, some kind of setup. If that's your response, you haven't, you saw this video while she was sleeping at her birthday. You haven't talked to her since. You've been dodging her for a week. And this is the first thing you're going to say. It seems extremely insincere. That's why I was, that's why I was on high alert. Yes, you're 100% right, though. The logistics of the thing, like this, you're, Tammy's presenting it like it just happen tomorrow but it can't just happen tomorrow that's not realistic tammy has to appreciate that that's not realistic that's why it came off so artificial and insincere there has to be some other ulterior motive whether it's to bring your enemies closer or the protection thing or control there is some other ulterior motive here this can't be her actual end goal
1: Patty is not going to leave her family home.
2: Oh like, well, a, no, just, of course not. She's going to no, leave a book. Not
1: she she gets, get, she's the just, whole uh, thing. Yeah. Hey, dude, Secret Life of Bees. What do you know of it?
2: I don't know anything about it.
1: Okay, so check this out. Just, just, I'm just going to read this little, like this little thing. I, I, if you're reading the book, I'm sorry. Just please close your ears for a moment, okay? So it says the the finale is that Lily figures out who she is aside from the girl with a dead mother. What does that sound like? Mm -hmm. She removes the toxic force of T-Ray from her life and decides to live permanently with August. Now, I don't know these characters, but a girl who has to figure out who she is, besides just being the girl with the dead mom, that sounds familiar
2: it's patty
1: (laughs) so let's let's get into the allison patty the city hall
2: let's get into the fact that that patty has a friend named judy who who she has like a who she has a book club with where's this judy that was funny
1: but she is a book reader like we can't. I mean, they've done a good job with that. And
2: they have to presume that she also sold Judy pills at some point. Right. All of all of <laughs> Patty's only friends that we know are people that she either did their hair or sold pills to. And then Allison like and yeah. Tammy. That's it. That's you know, that's all. And, and maybe,
1: uh, maybe Judy's an up and up hair lady.
2: Maybe and to be and to be clear, Allison and Patty, both uh, Allison and Tammy both came into Patty's life because of the pill trade. Remember Allison? Maybe
1: Judy is trying to help her heal. Maybe she does know more about about the life of Patty and is like trying to give her this book about how this Lily character heals.
2: Is Judy the most important person in Kevin can fuck himself? Is that what Maybe. we're saying?
1: Is that is Judy the outside force trying to heal all of them through literacy? Is Judy God? <laughs> no, obviously oh God. not God. <laughs> oh my
2: God! Is Judy Jen and Sam's Sam's? Uh, no,
1: Judy is definitely not Jen. No,
2: Allison making good friendship growth in this episode there are several sections where allison acts in a non-selfish friendship motivated way and we have to call it out because we have been so critical on her as a user and a and a manipulator in her own right and 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 using patty specifically to to further her ends to escape her own dreary situation there are several moments in this episode where allison makes real friendship strides and i was very happy to see it the first is she doesn't try and 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 get a hundred dollars from patty she tells her that she actually only needs 71 dollars, and patty understands she's being honest here and appreciates her and sees her i love this little moment
1: I liked it a lot that she bothered to be so specific with the money because, you know, that is the honesty part between the two of them. She doesn't need to be anything and she doesn't want to take anything more from Patty than she absolutely needs. So that seems like dead on like they played that scene well.
2: Right, and I didn't get the impression that she was actually getting it from, trying to get it from Patty. I really didn't, because she says like, yeah, well, you know, like so. she was, she would have gotten it somehow, like the same way, like she didn't get the money to pay Billy the PI. She gave up her pearls, right? She could have snookered that money out of Patty, I'm sure, but she, she came up with it on her own. And she says, I was going to steal from Kevin. I've forgotten in the hubbub of everything else. I like that, like she's like that's how I would have gotten the money. I would have just taken it from Kevin's wallet when he wasn't looking. So I didn't get the fact that she was trying to play Patty. Here And then she was honest with her about it, which I like, again, that Patty acknowledged it. Allison notes that something is wrong with Patty and asks her about it out of no specific benefit to herself. She just says, you know, what's wrong? You know, what? partly because she agrees to Allison's plan so quickly. But again, that's a thing that a friend does. They ask you why. Is everything OK? I clearly am indicating I'm clearly picking up your indication that something is wrong. I love that moment. What were other friendship moments that you noticed?
1: Well, you know I'm a huge hair girl, so I'm gonna notice everything about anyone's hair, and uh, I appreciated that. Well, Tammy, who was just like, "You cut your hair," and it was like super awkward. Which, PS, that's totally something you do when things are not going great in a relationship, like cutting your hair. That's like a total thing. But I like that Alice like notices it and says something nice, and then you know, as opposed to like Tammy, who's just like, "Brrr," on your wig. Appreciate that. So, which P- y'all I call all hair wigs. So I know she's not
2: wearing a wig. I thought that was important because Patty, in the same way allison noticed remember when they were leaving the cemetery and they were talking about vodka that's why she didn't share any of her big gulp because as vodka she's like how do you know that i don't like vodka? she's like you mentioned it once there was in that episode also a parallel of tammy telling her she didn't like cashews and again tammy not tammy tammy saying it like I am interrogating you, and I am forensically. I have learned that you don't like cashews. Allison presents it like offhandedly. You mentioned it one time. You didn't like vodka. There's this parallel thing that they keep doing, and and they have it in this episode with the hair. Tammy notices it like a cop and mentions it without commentary. Allison notices it like a friend and compliments it. It's important because there's a distinction there both are noticing it one is noticing it though and and being a friend about it versus the other one who is noticing it and being like a cop about it does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining it, it well. I
1: mean, we have a bad taste in our mouth about Tammy. So, I mean, a lot of people would be like, you guys are going too hard on that. Like, that's way too much of a difference in how you're like presenting it. But there was something about the taking away, like using that cashew and vodka thing. There was something about that, about being like, no, you can't have that. Right. She
2: removes it, literally takes it away from yeah, her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There was, there was more that. Like, I mean, let her, let her take a bite and decide she doesn't like it herself. Right. I don't know. It felt, it felt a little different. And I understand. And people could say the same about the vodka but i don't know it just had a different vibe
2: because if patty had said no give me a sip of it Allison would have been like all right take a sip of it she wasn't keeping it from her like and Mm-mm. patty was literally about to dig into food that was snatched from her the same way you would take food from a child right like that's how she treats her and again she doesn't say you cut your hair it looks great she says you cut your hair and patty says yeah because i'm desperate because something's wrong so like i did like a desperation move you know right. uh, yeah you had a great meal that you put up on facebook not too long ago about uh about cutting hair what was what was the context of it don't cut your bangs oh, is
1: that a that, all, I, that i see all you moms with kids starting the first day of school don't don't go cutting bangs
2: <laughs> right patty cut her bangs here and and tammy doesn't like cushion the blow she's just like i see you've cut your bangs you know like she says like i acknowledge that you have done something to your hair i'm not going to tell you if i like it or not but allison i don't know it, it seems like it's a very because this show has done it two times in this season in in a significant way, I think significant, just to parallel, what does Patty get from each of Tammy or Allison? Because ultimately, from Patty's point of view, her life is a struggle between Allison and Tammy. It's She's either spending all of her time with Allison, or she's spending all of her time with Tammy, or she's trying to split her time between the both of them. So it's important, I think, to examine what does she get from from both of these women?
1: I think that's super fair. And especially, you know, there's one who's constantly trying to remove the other. I don't feel like Allison has ever said, stop dating Tammy, or stop spending time with Tammy. No. She may be like, ah, because she's a cop, but not like you can't see that person.
2: She manages, she manages, and I'm happy for you. When Patty has been dreading all episode, clearly telling Allison that she's going to move, that Tammy asked her to move in and that she's going to, she finally blurts it out in like a breathless onslaught of words. And Allison's face goes through several different emotions. She's clearly feeling the loss of, of her friend a bit here. She even says, you're not going to live here anymore. And then Patty has to remind her, well, neither are you because you're going to be did. But she said before all that she manages an I am happy for you. And that's all I can think Patty wanted to hear from her friend in that moment. I don't think Patty was looking for, don't do it. I don't think she was looking for advice. I think she was just looking for, I am happy for you. And that's what Allison gives her.
1: And like free reign, like that's your choice. So you make your choice, you know, like if that's what you're going to do, okay. I think we've had many, many times now throughout this last, I want to say three episodes at least, where Allison has said something and Patty's like, well, it's not going to matter because you're not going to be here. Mm-hmm. And this was another like, you're not going to live here either. So there's a lot of that going around that I think obviously we should, we should keep in the back of our brains,
2: put it up on the board. It's in the same way that Tammy went out of her way last week when they were lighting the birthday candles to tell her, I need to be around all the time. You need to back off. And we talked about a harsh truth coming from the person you'd least want to hear it from. We've seen that motif this season. Will that eventually have a, a will, that eventually play on Allison's psyche. Allison, we can't ignore the fact that Allison keeps hearing from Patty: "You won't be here anymore. You will be dead. As far as anyone knows, we won't be able to go to the movies. We won't be able to live next door to each other anymore. You'll be gone."
1: Yeah, there's a lot of sadness in that in that whole thing that you you can hear it every single time that Patty says it. It's like there's like a hitch, you know, like. <laughs>
2: What did you think of the cops at the salon, pushy cops at the salon, insisting that they give them a ride?
1: It was a little contrived, to be honest with you. I mean, I know, you know, it being her own business and there being a blackout and them, I I felt like she could have just been like, I'm here to secure like the petty cash drawer because the power's out. It seemed very natural that they could be in there. It didn't seem weird at all as a small business owner to want to go make sure that the shop was locked up tight and and everything was secure during a blackout. So the whole thing, I mean, I understand it needed to like raise the tension and, you know, we we have the cops having to drive over to this woman's house and all this stuff. For me, I didn't exactly need that part i don't know how you felt about it but i i didn't need that added stuff i kind of would have rathered more like allison patty stuff longer than i needed that sort of like let's keep trying to ratchet it up
2: i, I got a couple things out of it i got three exactly three things out of it that, oh, okay. that i thought were that were i thought were useful one it was that it was the cop uh, the friendly cop who indicated for us that it was february I, I'm very appreciative of giving us a time and place on the show Two it drives home because it 's in the cop car where the cop sitting in the front says i didn 't realize kevin's wife was a phenom and also worked at Deft toast liquor so remember these guys uh, patty and Allison aren't just dealing with Tammy is the cop intimately mixed up in their affairs, but the cops are also on Kevin's side too. It's a a sense of claustrophobia. In the same way Patty starts to have an anxiety anxiety attack in the backseat. She
1: did an excellent job of just, like, yanking on her collar.
2: It's a metaphorical claustrophobia. Patty and Allison can't go anywhere in this small fucking town without Kevin or Tammy influencing their life or exerting some level of control of them. They couldn't get the cops to not give them a ride. If they were just small business owners, they would have just been like, all right, we'll lock up and be safe, get home safe. But because they know Tammy... Tammy because they know Kevin these cops insert themselves unrelentingly into the mix because we got to keep Kevin happy we got to make sure his wife gets home but the it, state of reason is we got to earn some earn some points with with Tammy with the, right. you know the detective and so we we cannot let you just go home you're not just normal people you are under the microscope because of who your significant others are That's that is literal claustrophobia always closing in around them when she has an anxiety attack in the back. It is literally a metaphor for what their entire life is in this town in case you forgot in case you forgot that they live their life under this microscope.
1: And even with like all the lights being out and you kind of have that sense of like anonymity, like, okay, I can totally just like walk wherever I want to walk because like nobody can really see each other. There's still that total sense of like not you two, you know, like there was just like a whole, you know, write up in the paper about you. And, you know, we all know you because of Tammy and all that kind of stuff. So there's just like the that sense that like even in the dark of night, even in the shadows, even in whatever, like you can't you can't not be known and not be seen.
2: Number three from the cops in a way that I can't imagine. Tammy, w- Tammy would have been happy for them to disclose mentioned to Patty and to Allison. Uh, you know, you've sure changed Tammy's mood since you came around. She swore she'd never date a local girl again, nor a smoker again. What? Why are you saying this? That's Tammy's business. What, how could you think that, that she would want Patty to know this? And two, what a random thing why? Why is Tammy then attracted to her? Is it because Patty really is just checking two two catnip boxes for for Tammy that she can't resist a local girl who smokes?
1: Well, it certainly give me pause. <laughs> you know, if I was like, what, what, like, so I'm not her type at all. Like, it would it, it would make me worry about like, why did you pick me? What the hell? You know, what is going on with you, Tammy?
2: I'm just the next Patty in your line. Like, you're just running through all of Wooster's, like, smoking girls. Like. It was just like a it was like a weird it was like a weird thing that I can't imagine Tammy would be cool with them saying out loud, but also it does give maybe some some context to Tammy's motivations. Yes, she's controlling, but why pick Patty to be controlling because we you and I had this issue all the way back in season one or not issue, but we had this question all the way back in season one of what about Patty in the middle of a drug? bust investigation made tammy stop and go oh hey come to my cop work thing she's tammy's type we learned in this episode patty why patty because patty is exactly tammy's type as revealed by these cops
1: interesting i did not it, it scared me actually when they were like hey do you want us to call tammy like that part like was equivalent to the phone tracker you know, like it had a real like.
2: Yeah, let's call Tammy and say I f- I found her. I found her with your with her nemesis.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that feels like.
2: She'd be totes cool with that, I'm sure. Let's get. Let's get. I mean, either that or the or it's either that or the cops are just not very inquisitive. Like, why would it? Because they have a very large reaction to. No, no, no. Don't call Tammy. No, no, no. But and also, we're not driving you home. Like you're in a cop car. Why not just let us drive you home? But you want to go to – wanna, you want to you want to hunker down at this rando friend's – the whole thing is very strange. But I, the that's
1: cop- what I said. I was like, this whole scene, like, really – I mean, I get it. Like, obviously, you've done a good job with your bullet points, and you did get information out of it. But this whole scene was rougher for me. Like, it didn't – it wasn't as smooth. And, and there was a lot of parts to it that I'm like, why would they say that but not be, like, sus about – asking that like how did the girls not get out of it how did they possibly end up at this strange woman's house is the fact that the cops actually drove her to this woman's house going to end up revealing something because now the cops know where where they were dropped you know like it's all like and
2: <laughs> city hall i don't know that this means anything other than it's just tracking more about neil's history patty mentions that she's been to city hall before for neil's court dates plural just, just again, because the show has alluded to his having a record, but we've never really dived deep into all of the various offenses that he may have caused or may have done in his life. This is an indication, at least, that, that Patty knows this place so well or well enough be, specifically because of Neil and his trouble with the law or interactions with the law. I think that that feels like something again just to put up on the board I don't know about you when they enter that records room I thought for sure they were going to get locked in it
1: oh because it was like a vault door that absolutely seemed like it could swing
2: closed I, I was I was a little shocked that they didn't get locked in there, but not as shocked as I was at the disarray of this records room. like
1: I knew I, that would make uh, your skin curl oh
2: <laughs> i I have got I like I need neat corners. I need piles, papers piled like neatly i if if one is sticking out, I have to fix it and put it all aligned. I spend a lot of my day like smacking papers together into perfect piles. This room made me twitch.
1: He's also somebody who will, like, take money and, like, turn it all the same direction and make sure it's all facing the right ways.
2: <laughs> I, I will literally stop in the middle of conversation if I notice my bills aren't facing the same way. I will fix well, it before I continue. Rude. Well, it, it bothers me. <laughs> like, this, this room made my skin twitch. Uh, on, yeah, uh, yeah, no.
1: I mean, I think that most people... You know, feel uncomfortable about a records room looking like somebody just like rifled through everything. But you know, I think it speaks to this entire town, right? That like everything's kind of a little fly by the seat of your pants, right?
2: Let's talk about Allison's meltdown. I, I think this scene was important for the whole show as why Allison is doing what Allison is doing now with the verve with which she is doing it. This is a long clip because it's not only. Allison's meltdown, it is Patty's kind of hurt reaction to it, uh, hurt on her own behalf and hurt on Allison's behalf. It's it's a long clip, but I think it's really important to listen to. Let's take a listen.
0: I'm not finding it. Well, it's got to be in here. And we had a small change of plans, but sometimes you just got to
1: roll with it, right? Well, we didn't have a plan. Don't you think? No, 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 no. Because when I think too much about something, that's the second I start talking myself out of it, Okay. It's not true. Well, maybe not for you, but it is for me. You've known me for 15 years. Have I ever done anything? You. No. And I can't even blame Kevin for it, because it's always been true. I, just, I make excuses, and I bail, and I make excuses, and I bail. And
0: Allison, you just always make excuses and fail. <sighs> Jesus. Sorry. Uh, I just need to find this tonight and I can't let a little trespass in or some shitty nephew who can't alphabetize create any more excuses. Okay, you don't actually believe any of that. It's bullshit. You are not some hopeless screw-up. Okay. No. Don't do that. I'm here. I've been here. standing next to you. Be some loser who can't do anything. I follow your lead. What does that make me?
2: This is a show about female friendship above all else, according to Valerie Armstrong, right? This is a show about these two women trying to continue to survive and and rise above the abuses and experiences that have been put upon them. What a better statement than this scene for why we are motivated, the excuses and fail and excuses and fail and excuses and fail. And then your friend to hear, if you're a loser, by extension, I'm a loser too. And that hurts both of us. This is a beautiful moment. This is of all of the episodes we've seen. This whole this whole scene, that whole clip that I played, and I omitted a little bit of it because it would have been too long. One of my absolute favorites. Just one of my absolute favorites. I think it's, it's extremely important for insight into who these two women are.
1: I'm also going to put it under the category of having these conversations that you could apply to Allison and Kevin. One of the big reasons why a lot of people don't want to leave is because they have some embarrassment or shame because what does it say about me that I picked this partner? You know, if this partner is such a bad person and I picked them and I stayed with them for X amount of time, I am willing to, like, cover for that person. I'm willing to to not leave because if I leave, then... What does it say about me for having spent any time with this person? Which feels very much of what Patty was saying, you know. So I 100% appreciate the friendship of it all and the the love between these two women because I think it is so important. And and I can really see them drilling down on we need each other and, and you're important to me and all that. But I really like how Valerie, like, keeps kind, kind of just planting these seeds where you could, like, suck it out and, like, put it over, like – This is also how Allison feels about Kevin. This is how Diane feels about Chuck. You know, what does it say about me if I've been with this partner?
2: and and how patty feels about allison i love this woman and she treats me like i'm invisible unless she needs me for something over and over again but i'm what does that say about me that i'm still here that i'm still answering that call but at the same time in the same way allison i feel like made really strides in her growth and friendship in this episode Patty kind of not not literally shaking her by the shoulders, but stopping her in the middle of City Hall, who, who, again, she doesn't want to be there. She's very uncomfortable about this whole thing and finds it spooky. She takes the time to stop her and proverbially shake her shoulders and say, I'm here. I'm right fucking here next to you. We're go you're not going through this alone. I'm here with you. So if you're going to if you're a helpless screw up, what does that say about me? Is a rebirth moment. Again, we we started this episode by talking about fire and the rebirth moment and how it could be the start of something new. This feels like the start of a new chapter of these two's friendship and and understanding each other in a way that I don't know that they've ever understood each other before.
1: I also really get that Amazing pep talk that we all need when we feel like someone has been like beating us down and saying like words to us that we we just internalize. And so you have Allison like basically yelling it out, like saying, "Allison, you never finish anything. You know, all this stuff." To have someone, your best friend, like this, say. Don't believe that talk. Don't believe that, you know, don't let it become who you are because this person has just yelled at you so many times. You can't believe that about yourself. It's a good tactic to try to use the whole, like, what does it say about me if I'm with you? Because then then most people say, well, you're you're a good person. So you're right. I I must have some redeeming qualities about me because otherwise you wouldn't want to hang out with me. But but it, that's all a, a really circular way around to getting to like, please don't believe the bullshit that you've been fed all this time. You are a good person and you are capable of many things. And, you know, all of that part of friendship is something that, you know, Allison is and Patty both are are sorely lacking and, and really, really have found in each other.
2: A good friend of mine recently, I was trying to figure out how to get Tom, my son Tom, to understand words being harmful to him. This friend said, well, ask him what he would advise you in that situation. And and for the point of switching it around, if putting yourself in the other person's shoes as a way of saying it, and I was like, that is really good advice. And and I tried to, and I did do that, and it, and I think it worked. I I mentioned the good friend because the good friend was you. A little little thank you, good friend. So for your well,
1: I think so. it's hard not to believe the hype all around us, right? It's really really hard not to not to listen to whatever we're being told. And sometimes when you know we have like a second to be like, wait a minute, is that really what? What I'm like you know am I actually like this person and
2: I don't think Patty is a helpless screw up and so if she's right if she's not then maybe I'm not too
1: Right, right right and right. and and you know and like it's so much easier to have compassion and empathy for someone else how hard is it to have compassion and empathy for yourself very hard i mean practically impossible so you know which is terrible why do we treat ourselves so badly <laughs> you know another really good question the show brings up like why do why do we let all these people on the outside make us doubt ourselves so much
2: if you guys have any doubt about the importance of this this interaction and and its significance and and what it means for these two going forward and how they see themselves and how they see each other and their bond let the fact that the that patty finishes this very impassioned speech the power comes back on
1: It's like let there be light
2: exactly it is a literal (laughs) light bulb moment
1: it was like an epiphany
2: it's an epiphany moment punctuated by the lights coming back on the alarm starting to sound uh, both of those things: lights coming on and alarms starting to sound. Both important things for both of these women to be aware of.
1: What do you make of the alarm sound? How do you how do you take that?
2: I mean, they're in the end game, or Allison's in her end game. That there is a clock running on this. That she has committed. the grabbing of Gertrude Franch's death certificate represented the final stage before she can leave. She couldn't she couldn't go until now, and now she can. And now now the alarms are ringing because she is committed in a way in which it'll be very hard for her to not follow through
1: it's funny because i know we've had all this fire talk but the like the alarm that particular alarm didn't actually sound like a um like a like a house alarm or something like that it sounded like a fire alarm it did sound maybe. like
2: a fire alarm as did the alarm that uh that she destroys when they first walk in remember she hits the hammer that it sounds like a-
1: exactly like a fire alarm you're right at a firehouse <laughs> so do you have that voice that comes after a fire alarm which is like a firefighter's voice being like "Go go 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 go," where you're like going down the poles, and all of the firefighters are like putting on their coats, and they're all like getting ready to get on the truck. Like that's the like visual and like auditory, like aftermath of that cue of the alarm. It's like "Go go go go," and then and like "Ooh and here," and and we have our emergency exit sign. You know, from the beginning, it's like "Everyone run." <laughs>
2: I didn't talk about it at the beginning because I wasn't sure it would have been useful there. But the very last thing I think we need to talk about, and I know we're just about out of time, is the unreliable narrator. That's the name of this episode. Who is the unreliable narrator? Now that we have talked that out for over two hours... Who is the unreliable narrator in this episode or in this show? Is it Allison? Is it Kevin? Is it both of them? Is it all of us? Are we all unreliable narrators when it comes to our own stories?
1: I was just gonna say, I was I was gonna go, or is it like society? Like is society the unreliable narrator? It's like we're all supposed to trust the doctor and the doctor's supposed to be a good guy and we're all supposed to like like these these stories we tell ourselves, right? Of like, you know, oh he's just a clown, he's not anything worse than that. Like all the stories that we tell about people and the categories that we put people in
2: And tell about ourselves. Are
1: are we as like societally the unreliable narrators?
2: Uh, The stories we tell about each other. Think about how Kevin immediately began to tell people about about Sam living in the diner, you know, via his own set of, of reasons for why that is. Think about what Patty just finished saying to Allison about the narrative Allison says about herself and how that can't be true you're an unreliable narrator when it comes to you so it's the stories that society tells all of us and itself and the stories that we tell about ourselves too i think we're all the unreliable narrator to some extent
1: all are we all are isn't that freaky (gasps) we're learning that
2: gasp you left i hope you leave that in because that was a very authentic choking gasp you did
1: (laughs) i really was choking
2: (laughs) I heard it I heard it that was not rehearsed guys that was like live we, we, we fuck it we did it live like I that was
1: we choking on my smoothie Oh my lord! this is Caroline
2: and this is Mike thank you for listening to Kevin can podcast himself your dedicated after show podcast for Kevin can fuck himself if you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate review and subscribe and while you're there if you could leave us a five star review so that Apple and Spotify like us and promote the show and we get more visibility so more people can come and listen to the show and maybe watch kevin can fuck himself because you know what i'm an unreliable narrator i don't know maybe you don't even believe me but really seriously leave a five-star review it does help us don't be an unreliable narrator (laughs) nice thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at PodClubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you.